0: context. It's a good uh, text for a wedding. It's a good concept. But when you take it out and you apply it to a, a marriage, it just doesn't fit the way it was supposed to in the bookends of chapter 12 and 14. So we'll kind of dissect that a little bit. So as we get into this, a couple thoughts I want to share with you. One of them is this. When I was a kid not a real little kid, but like a teenager, I was amazed with one professional athlete that, to me, was better than any other athlete in that field that I have ever seen or heard of or had known, and and it's a guy by the name of Michael Jordan, Uh, a little guy, six foot six, yeah, we're actually like twins, I weigh a little bit more, but we're the same height, we got the same abilities. He just has a bigger paycheck. But but the thing is, is that when Michael Jordan would play basketball, and I would get in arguments with my friends about this kind of stuff, we would, you know, talk about, is he the best ever? And now with the LeBron James and some of these other new guys, you know, the, the, the conversation gets more and more complicated. But I would say that dollar for dollar... The Michael Jordan was the best that I've ever seen because he had this thing that he could do that no other athlete could do. He he would jump and in midair he would switch hands or put it behind his back and he would do stuff with this ball. You're like, people can't do that. He's like a magician. You're like, how does he? How is he able to do this kind of stuff? And and there were games that he even amazed himself with his ability to put that little ram ball in that net. It was just crazy. And so the argument we would have is, not so much is he the best ever, but we would argue this, is what he had a talent? Was it a gift? Was it a combination of both? And, and here was the, 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 the broader scope of the conversation. What was the, the Holy Spirit's involvement in his basketball playing abilities, if it was there. Interesting topic. So for, for the privilege of, uh, of, of digging where you probably don't want me to dig, we're going to go into this a little bit. I looked up a definition for the word talent. And I want you to pay attention to these because this is important in the life of the church. This will make sense in a minute. A talent is a natural aptitude or a skill. It's natural. You're born with it. You have it. You may have something that other people don't have. Yours might be a, a little bit easier for you to come by, but it's still a natural aptitude or a skill, a talent. A person can sit down, and I'm going to use this in Lara's context, but I'm not talking about Lara, but maybe not directly a piano player, a person, can sit down and learn how to play the piano. You can, you can obtain that particular talent with some work and effort. Now, we know that you could also be a prodigy. You could be born into the world, and you can sit down at the piano for the very first time and start playing stuff that you've just heard, and you can't necessarily read music, but you can make it happen, and it'll sound amazing. Those people make me sick. But they do exist. They do. Savants, prodigies, whatever you want to call them. Blessed, I don't know. But at the end of the day, it's still a talent. It came natural for them. Gifted is a little bit different. Now, I'm just going to put this in context. Uh, I'm not trying to insert anything, or I'm just going to say it. All three of our kids went to a gifted middle school. And I remember the very first day when we were going to orientation that Wojo, because I can't remember her whole name, it was Polish. Do you remember it? Yeah, I'll just call her Wojo. But Wojo was the principal, and she said something very interesting. She said, remember parents that not every student in this school is gifted. Some of them are just really smart. And and that's always made sense to me, because I never felt like our three kids were like well above the spectrum intellectually, but they all were smart kids, and and they were doing they were did well for themselves. Are you throwing stuff at me, honey? <laughs> <laughs> She's interrupting me. No, I'm kidding. i love you, honey. So so one of the thing was that it, a lot of those kids were gifted. And here's the definition of gifted. This comes from the Gifted Children website. And there is a website called the Gifted Children. It says that... Um, well, here, here's the definition first. Having exceptional talent or natural ability. So you're born into a with a talent or ability. This takes it to the exceptional level over and beyond your basic level, Right? And so exceptional talent or natural ability. I would say that Michael Jordan was a gifted athlete. He was talented, he was gifted, and a little bit beyond most athletes, even at the professional level. But the Gifted Children website says this. Children are gifted when their ability is significantly above the norm for their age. And that could be in creativity, it could be in music, it could be in poetry, it could be in engineering, it could be in in athletics, it could be in all these different areas, but it's a person whose ability is significantly above the norm for their age. And they give this mathematical reference, this would be the top 10% among the national or the local norm, the top 10%. Now, I don't know, usually we honor at graduation those who graduated in the top 10 or the top 10%. I was never in that grouping, ever. Um, But I will say this, I was the number one high jumper for four years in a row in in my county. That was pretty cool. Yeah. And there have been times that I've been the smartest person living in my household. But then I got married. Mm Yeah. Yeah. Here's what Zig Ziglar, he's a professional salesman, wrote a lot of books on sales and business. Zig Ziglar said this about Michael Jordan. He says, you were designed for accomplishment, engineered for success, and endowed with the seeds of greatness. Unfortunately, not every person has the commitment to water, cultivate, and care for that seed to make it grow into a deep-rooted tree that bears the fruits of success and abundance. Those who are successful have a conviction so deep that they are willing to do whatever it takes. So I highlight a couple words here. Michael Jordan, from the words of Zig Ziglar, he had an endowment, he had a commitment, he had a cultivation, he had a conviction, and he had a willingness that enabled him to become great in his field. And he truly was great. The greatest of all time, doesn't really matter, but I'll say he'll always be in the top 10%. Gifted, I don't think we can argue. But there's another word that I want us to talk about today, and this is the topic for today. Now, we've talked about the consumed life. we talked about the spirit-filled life. we talked about the purified or the, the pruned life. Today, we're going to talk about the manifest life. Pentecost Sunday was an amazing day because that was the day that the Holy Spirit manifested itself, Himself, in the life of the early church, forever transforming it and empowering it for greatness, taking it from mediocrity, which really, not to be derogatory of the Jewish faith, but took it from mediocrity as a religion into something powerful that had the ability to transform the world. Pentecost Sunday did that for the church when the Holy Spirit showed up. And again, a violent wind comes through the house where they were gathered, and they were all gathering and pray. Uh, the scriptures say they were in one accord, not a Honda, but in spirit and purpose. They were, they were united on this. We're preparing ourselves for what Jesus to said is coming. We don't know exactly what it is, what it will look like, what it's going to smell like, taste like, feel like, but we're here praying that, that we, we will pre- prepare us for when he arrives, we're gonna be ready for this. And it says that uh, when the the wind filled the house where they were sitting, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated, came to rest upon their heads. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That was the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit manifested itself in those people, disciples, apostles, manifested itself in the form of speaking in tongues. Now, the controversy has started from that day and has never ceased but I want to put aside the controversial part of it because we focus on the wrong syllable. All right? We focus on the wrong syllable. What we're supposed to take note of is not the actual manifestation in the form of speaking in tongues. We're supposed to focus on the presence of the Holy Spirit and the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit in us. So, the the prize is not the gift, the gift is the Holy Spirit. The gift is the person of the of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit that comes inside of us, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, that crafted the world in the hands of God. Uh, the same spirit is inside of us because he chose to put himself in us so that he could accomplish things through us that we can never do by our own strength. That's a mouthful. But that's the reality of what happened here. In Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 41, there's several verses for you. Ezekiel twenty forty-one. it says this, I will accept you as a fragrant incense when I bring you out from the nations and gather you from the countries where you have been scattered. And I will show myself holy among you In the sight of the nations. When God shows himself or attributes of himself, he has to manifest himself so that you can see it. So what is the definition of manifest? Manifested, which is the past tense version. And this is what I find in the vocabulary.com dictionary. So you know there's credibility there. But they're all really similar. The definition is this, it is a public display of an emotion, a feeling, or something theoretical that has been made real in your presence. Manifestations' origins are in religion and spirituality. That's where it came from, where it originated. Because if something spiritual becomes real, it is said to be a manifestation If something theoretical, something spiritual becomes real in our presence, then it is a manifestation of God. Does that make sense? Anytime God shows up at any given church on any given Sunday and reveals himself in whatever capacity, that is a manifestation of God's presence in us, around us, and through us. That is when church gets real. That's when church becomes amazing. And that is the type of thing that needs to occur in order for us to transform the world in which we are planted in. We can't do it by our own strength. I have certain talents and abilities and gifts, but I can't do it. But when God is manifest in me, and in you, there is nothing we can't do. Absolutely nothing that we can't do. Because God can do anything he wants to. Crazy stuff. I just lost my place. In John chapter 2, verse 11, it says this. This is the first of his, Jesus, miraculous signs Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory. He manifested his glory in the first miracle in Cana of Galilee. When he did what? Turned water into wine. His first miracle, he did it in public, thus making it a manifestation. Theoretical becomes real, a manifestation of God through Jesus, and his holiness was made manifest in that, in that event. His disciples, as a result, put their faith in him. Now, here's something just to, just to put in the back of your mind. This might come back to, to use at some point in your life or in your walk with the Lord If Jesus performing a miracle and and manifesting his glory through himself in the act of this event, and his disciples then as a result put their faith in him because of the glory that they saw revealed through him, is it not possible that when we allow the Holy Spirit to manifest in us, that people may come to also put their faith in Jesus Christ? Absolutely. If we do it right, when a person comes and says, I'm a non-believer, but I want Jesus in my life, I want to give my life to Jesus, I want to live a life that glorifies him, live a life of purpose for him, and I want to be baptized into this faith, I repent of my sin, I confess that I'm a sinner, and I stand in need of his grace, and they go through the the baptism waters... And they are immersed and their sins are washed away and their whole life is transformed in our presence. And their, their, their demeanor is transformed and their love is transformed. Is it not possible that people sitting in these seats will see that and think, that is a miracle. That was amazing. That's what I want to see happen in my life. It's rhetorical. The answer is, of course, yes. Yes. It can happen. I've seen it happen. I've experienced it myself. It's crazy stuff. The manifested life is letting Christ reveal his glory and his holiness in and through your life and my life for the sake of an unbelieving and dying world. He doesn't do that just to amaze me. He doesn't do it just to throw me a bone and make me feel good about myself. He does that. He manifests himself through me so that people that live in this world in death and dying statuses may have hope. And that they may have transformation like what I've experienced. God doesn't do amazing things in me just because he wants to blow my socks off. He does it because he wants to blow your socks off. He does it in you so that you will block you will blow the socks off of somebody else. Do you see what he's up against here? Now you might think, well, I don't know if that's exactly true. Well, it just so happens I got some verses for you. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is speaking to all of the disciples. Up on the the Mount of, of, um, of Ascension, the Chapel of Ascension, some of us were there recently, where Jesus ascended into heaven, left all the disciples standing around picking their noses, you know. That was the place, and Jesus spoke the words, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be you will not do, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Why does the Holy Spirit need to come upon them? Because for the sake of their witness to the world that Jesus is the Son of God, this must take place. Because here's the reality, If I just wake up one day and you think, you know what? This world stinks. I don't like it. There's a lot of suffering, a lot of crying, a lot of death and dying. I'm going to go out and just make a difference. I'm going to start. I heard about this church thing. I'm going to go out and just start telling people about Jesus for whatever reason, probably so I can pad my own bank account or something. But I'm going to go out into the world. I'm going to go door to door and I'm just going to tell people about Jesus by my own strength to meet my own agenda For the own my own pat on the back, I'm going to do these things. How successful will I be? Well, a lot of churches close every day because that's exactly what they do. By their own strength, they go door to door, or they just sit at home and wait for them to come to their doors. But as long as we as a church or we as an individual continue to try to do ministry by my own flesh, we will continue to fail. I will continue to fail. Everyone that I try to say, you need to get your act together, you need Jesus in your life, I will fail. Every one of my children who I said, no, you're going to go to church whether you like it or not, I will fail. Because that's not the way God wants it to be done. He wants them to see himself in us. And when, he, when the children and when our neighbors see Christ in us, they will voluntarily choose to have what we already have. That's the way evangelism is supposed to work. So when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, you will be my witnesses in all of Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So on Pentecost Sunday... When the believers were gathered in the upper room and the Holy Spirit came upon them and descended upon them and remained, God was commissioning them to be his witnesses in all of the world. He was commissioning them not with just a title, but with a little dose of himself, the presence and reality of his existence by putting himself in us. And then whispering in our ears, Now, as long as you keep me inside of you, you will never fail because I can do all things through you. I'm trying to regroup mentally here before we go on. In Romans chapter 5, 5, Paul wrote these words, and hope does not disappoint us, Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Here's where I believe this connects and where we need to make sure it always remains connected. 1 Corinthians 13, we call it the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind, it is not boastful, it is not envious, it it never is self-seeking, it always reaches out to others, it tries to, 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 to bridge the gap from God to others, you know, that's 1 Corinthians 13. I'm in the wrong chapter, that's why I'm struggling here. God poured out his love into us, but yet he also poured in his manifest presence into us. What does that mean? It simply means this that as a created being, you have some capacity of love. You can hold on to it, you can give it away, and by your flesh, by your own personal physical strength, you have some some ability to love others. It's natural, it's innate. Because God created you in in his image. So you have some ability to love people. And for a lot of us, that's the full extent of our love. I love you to the best of my ability. Unfortunately, my ability isn't a whole lot to brag about. Because I'm also extremely selfish. Right? I'm self-seeking. So if I say I love you and I love myself in the same sentence how much do I really love you? Well, I love you in only as much as it blesses my life. I love you because I want you to love me. I love you because that makes me feel good about me. So you see what I'm saying? It can be self-seeking, self, uh, self-praise. It could be uh, putting something in my bank account that's not necessarily uh, very valuable. You know, love that is demanded of another person isn't love. That's why God gives us a choice. But yet it says here in Romans 5 5 that God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit came to the church on Pentecost Sunday in Acts chapter 2, God didn't just put his manifest presence there so that they could have spiritual gifts. But he also put the extreme depth of his love inside of us so that we would have an ability to love people beyond ourselves, that we can forgive people who even murdered our family members or who spit in our faces and called us no good whatevers. We, we have this ability to love people who, who the world cannot love or embrace because God's love in us is his manifest presence. So God says, go into the world and love them as I have loved you. And I'm going to give you some giftedness so that you can amaze them and show them that I love them. And so that's the way the church was put together. And so here's the the, the opposite of that. Where there's a church who just has a trickle presence of the Holy Spirit... Say that we received the Holy Spirit, you know, 50 years ago, and, and that's good enough for me then, it's good enough for me now, right? And, and so I'm content with just my batteries running on low. And, and so I struggle to love people. I struggle to forgive people. I gossip about people. I talk negatively about people. But when I understand this manifest presence of God inside of me and the full depth of his love for me, I can't go back to that. I want to put on display for you what God's love really is and what it really feels like and what it really is capable of so that it can transform your life because that is what God is trying to show you is the full depth and the width and the height of his love. He wants you to know that because that is what's going to compel you to go into the dark places of this world in order to use your spiritual gifts so that with God's help, we can radically transform this world. Where there is no love, there's no spirit. Where there are no spiritual gifts, there's no spirit. There's flesh. And and the problem is the reason there's so many thousands of churches, I think one number I saw recently, 4,200 churches close every year in America And only 3,400 are being rebirthed or or being planted. So we're losing 800 churches per year. But why is it that so many churches are dying? One is because they're spiritually dead. Because they don't have the love of God in them working through them. They're nice people and they're kind to their neighbors and each other. But they don't have this incredible, powerful love inside of them. And because of that, they don't have the desire to use spiritual gifts to help them, nor do they have them even if they wanted them. That's why chapters 12, 13, and 14 go together. And that's why chapter 13 is wedged in between them, because love is the presence, it is the foundation for all spiritual gifts. So let me get to really the text here. I know I'm kind of getting off on a, we could have done this as a three-week me, three message maybe. Or three hours. Under the topic of spiritual gifts, look at First Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 6. And you'll say, you'll see this. There are different kinds of gifts, but they're the same Spirit that gives those gifts. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works, all of them. In all men. So look at the words that I, I highlighted and, and, and underlined. I underlined the three verbs adverbs: gifts, service and work. Every one of us, in regards to the church and the world in which we are planted, should be doing three things. We should be um, using our gifts, giving them our service, and working in their presence. And then the Holy Trinity is made present here. The same Spirit, Holy Spirit, gives us the gifts. The same Lord, Jesus, gives us the service. And the same God, our Heavenly Father, gives us the work. And then it all comes together under this underlying phrase. All of them in all men. In other words, for the common good. For the common good. In the church, in the Corinthians at this time, the problem that has developed is this. There are a bunch of people that have the ability to speak in tongues. They have the gift of tongues. And they're using it in a way that is unloving. They're doing it in a way to show themselves as being better than other people, as being on a different level or platform than other people. And this is what got got Paul's goat. He's like, this is ridiculous. Where's the love here? These spiritual gifts are not for you and your benefit alone. They're for the common good of everybody. Now, some people have taken those three chapters and, and pulled out of context that little phrase, uh, or that little theology which says, oh, see, spiritual gifts are bad because they're only edifying the person. But then you're taking it out of context. When a person stands up in front of you and says, I'm better than you because I can do this and you can't, that is the problem. That Paul has to address so that's why he says in this passage in, in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4 there are different kinds or he says it in the first three verses ahead when you were pagans you used to do this kind of stuff but you're not pagans now so quit doing it in verse 4 there are different kinds of gifts but the same spirit so he goes through this to offset what they thought and acted like as pagans when people were self-seeking So in highlighting the spiritual gifts, he reminds them that God has given you these gifts and abilities for the sake of the world, not for yourselves. So that when you go out into the world and you use these powerful gifts to transform the world, they will know that there is a God at work in you and through you, and God alone will get the attention. He will get the praise. This is as an example. Uh, I think it's interesting to me why King David was chosen. Because when Samuel got there to Jesse's home, and they started parading the oldest and the strongest and the best looking, it was was like a runway model uh, show where the oldest son comes out, flexes his muscles, shows his intellect, shows how good looking he is. And And then Samuel says, that's the king. And God whispers in his ear, no, that's not the one I picked. And he says that man looks upon man's outer appearance, but God looks upon the heart. That man's rejected. Yes, he's good looking. Yes, he's tall. Yes, he's physical, a a great physical specimen, kind of like me. But that's not why God chose him. And and one by one, all the Jesse's sons would parade by until he got to the runt of the litter, the smallest one, the youngest one, the one that had the least attractive. He was good looking. It says he was a ruddy boy. He was handsome. But none of that qualified him to be a king of Israel. So why did God choose the less likely, the smallest, the youngest, the the less likely? Because when God puts his presence into that young boy, he becomes a giant. And and instead of the boy getting the praise, the honor, and the glory, God will get the praise, honor, and glory because everybody will know David didn't have the ability. He didn't have the giftedness. God equipped him with what he needed. That's amazing to me. And that's what God is up for here. That's why he picks us and he gives us certain gifts that, that just supersede anything that makes sense or is reasonable in this world. So in, in this passage, Paul goes through and he lists. And remember, these are all for the common good, he says in verse uh, 5. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So if God gives me a a spiritual gift that I can use in this setting, it's for all of you to benefit from. This is not me. It's no giftedness, nothing I picked up in seminary, nothing my mother gave me when I was born. This is something God gave me when I was born. And so he puts his presence in me and he says, now go and preach not by your own intellect or by your own wisdom, but my, by my wisdom and by my intellect. And go and just tell them how, bad, how much I love them, how deeply I love them, how bad I love them. Tell them what I'm willing to do for them uh, in order to bring them to, to me permanently in heaven. And so I just go, and I say, okay, God, put the words in my mouth, and I'm just going to let them fall from my lips and, and just trust that they're going to fall on fertile soil, and then the Holy Spirit's going to come behind it and water the soil and help it to grow and give it the right amount of sunshine, and they're going to grow up into their own faith. And so I just walk by faith every day. Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say what you tell me. I'm going to go where you tell me to go, but, Lord, you're going to have to do this because I can't. And God says, I don't want it any other way. Just go and just be faithful to me. I promise you, I'm not going to leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to do it through you. But you have to ask me for help. You have to to quit doing it by your own strength. And we all do this because here's the thing. When we get in a habit and we get in a a, a, a reputation, I can't even say it. Repetition. Repetition. Thank you. See, I told you I'm not eloquent. But when we get in a pattern, a behavior, we get to where, God, I can do this. I don't need your help now. I got this, God. I can do this meeting. I can lead this. I can make this decision. I don't need your help today. And God's like, all right, do it by your own strength. Go for it, buddy. And, oh, you fell on your face again? Yes, I will pick you up, and I will clean you off, and I will put you back on the path. What? You fell on your face again. Because we keep trying to do things by our own strength. Crazy. But for the common good, he manifests his presence in me and through me with certain spiritual gifts. Gifts that I, did never, I never possessed. I never had them. I never, never learned them. But he put them inside of me. And here's a couple of them. There's nine listed here. The first one is the message of wisdom. 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 That's crazy. Wisdom. Wisdom can be a spiritual gift, but here's the thing. Some people dismiss this because we confuse talents and gifts with spiritual gifts. And so we'll say, well, you know what? I'm wise. I've got a doctorate, a couple master's degrees. I'm not stupid. I've got some wisdom. And so a person comes in and says, oh, here's the problem. This is my child. But she says, it's her child. What are we going to do? And Solomon says, well, let's cut the baby in half, and we'll give half to each one of you mothers. And then the real mother says, no, just take the baby. That's wisdom. They don't teach you that in seminary. They don't teach that. The spiritual gift of wisdom. It says uh, the message of knowledge, which is what we call a word of knowledge. That's when you're sitting in front of somebody and you're trying to pray for them and you're trying to figure out, how can I help you? What questions can I ask? What encouragement can I give you? Lord, help me. And the Lord says, ask them about what happened to them at the age of 12 when their stepfather beat them severely and left them as a bloody pulp on the sidewalk. And you're like, really? And God says, ask. And I'll say, uh, what happened to you at the age of 12? Did your stepfather do something to you? And all of a sudden, that person just breaks down into tears, and their heart is ripped apart, and they're like, how did you know this? And I say, because my God knows, knows every, every, everything about you, because he loves you more than any human being or any God ever could. And he has revealed to me the source of your brokenness, and he has said to me, tell you that he loves you and he wants to bring healing into that experience if you'll let him words of knowledge the third one is faith the fourth one gifts of healing fifth one miraculous power six prophecy seven discerning uh, d- between spirits eight speaking in different kinds of tongues and nine interpretation of tongues now here's where this is important because remember like i said earlier what we do is we pull the out of context the things that meet our agenda. And so, like I said, this, this issue that has come to context is speaking in tongues because some feel like they're better than others. So there's been many people that would say, see, speaking in tongues is the bad thing. That's the culprit. Let's throw it out the window. Don't ever talk about it. Don't ever visit it. And we're completely shutting down one of the spiritual gifts that God's presence, his manifest presence gives us for the purpose of ministry. Because it doesn't make sense. And so there will be people, I've heard people say this, not everybody has that gift. Not everybody can, can have that gift. Well, you can if you want it. It's, it's kind of like this. Uh, number three is the gift of faith. Doesn't everybody here have some element of faith? You may not have the spiritual gift of faith but you have faith because by faith it's impossible to please God. And by faith is how you come to to be a Christian by faith in the atoning work of Jesus on the cross and the blood that was shed from us by faith in that blood. I can now become a Christian. So I have faith even apart from the spiritual gift of faith. So what's the difference? A spiritual gift is something supernatural something way bigger and stronger and more powerful than your flesh and anything you can put together by yourself. So, so faith is when you like sell your house and all of your possessions and, and, and you, you tell your children, we're moving south to start a new church. And we don't know how we're going to pay our bills. And we don't know how we're going to sell the house. And we don't know how you're going to be provided for. And so we're just going to go and be faithful because this is what God told us to do. And so we step out and we just trust. And it makes no physical sense at all. It makes no earthly sense. Why would anybody do that? Because that's what God asked us to do. So here's another thing. People will say, well, how do you control a spiritual gift like that? What happens if I'm walking down the aisle at Walmart and all of a sudden I start speaking in tongues? It's interesting how people who are afraid, you know, process information. And and, and so here's a really good comeback to that. Well, what happens if you're like walking through a, a Catholic church for a funeral and you see an offering plate, are you going to feel compelled to just throw money into it because you're out of control? I wish, but you no. Know. No, spiritual gifts are always... We have to, we have to submit to them. We have to, we have to participate. And if you have the spiritual gift of giving... But yet, you don't want to give, then you're not going to be forced to. And God's not going to embarrass you by making you give everything you have to the poor. Unless you're in agreement. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7-11, it says, All of these work of one and the same spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Here's the other thing. Not everybody has a spiritual gift of your own. I've been taught that before, and it's just not true. I don't find it in scriptures. Everybody here does not have their own spiritual gift, but you can have this. You can have your own manifestation of the Holy Spirit, which is the presence of God in you. You can have that. And then as the situation dictates, he may give you a gift of healing when somebody is sick. Or he may give you the gift of giving whenever somebody needs some help. He might give you the gift of discernment whenever there's something spiritual going on in somebody's head and they can't make sense of it. You can have the manifest presence. Now, yes, I do think sometimes I have the gift of preaching, but I also know that on any given Sunday I could stand up to preach and it not be there. Because for whatever reason I chose to do it by my flesh that day. And I forsook the time needed to pray and to dig into the scriptures and to be in the presence of God. It's possible. I can give you many, many examples of when that was possible. So what I'm trying to say is this. Pentecost Sunday was an amazing day for the life of the church because that's when God showed up and became not just a theory or a philosophy, but real. He kept it real, and he got inside of me, and he got inside of you, and he says, now let me do my work through you to draw people to myself because you are my witnesses. You're my legs, you're my hands, you're my voice, you're my heart. I'm gonna put my love inside of you so that you can love people like they deserve to be loved and don't know that they deserve. And I'm going to use you to go to these dark places to bring people to me and it's gonna be beautiful. And when I start doing it, you're gonna wanna do more of it because you're gonna be addicted to it. You're gonna want to see people come to faith in me Because that's what love does. And that's what love is. It's crazy. Just trying to make sense of all of it. But you know, I can say this after 30 years of ministry. I wouldn't want it any other way. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I just said over the last 15 or 20 or 30 minutes. But I do know that God is with me right now. Because he's inside of me and he's talking to me and he's saying, say this, say this, look this way, look over this way. It's amazing how that happens, but but I still have the choice. I can say, no, God, I'm not looking over there. No, God, I'm not going to say that because that's going to make me look bad. And then all of a sudden God quits talking. It's crazy. God wants to electrify your life for the purpose of ministry. So that you can radically transform the life of another person. That is what this is all about. That's what the church exists for. That's what the Bible exists for. To show you how to do it. So why are we not doing it? Because we have to submit to it. We have to say, God, I want you to do this in me, for me, and through me. And if we don't pray that prayer, then God is just going to use somebody else. So it's my prayer That I will never ever again say, God, I'm going to do this myself. I don't need your help. I want to be in over my head. Even if it scares the thunder out of me, which sometimes it does. Let's pray. Holy Father, I pray that you will just continue to make your presence known in every life in this church. I pray for where people, Lord, don't know you, don't trust you, don't have that relationship. I pray that they'll get it today. I pray that you'll open their eyes, their mouths, their hearts, and just fill them up with your presence, Lord, that they will know that you are real. Manifest yourself in them and through them for the sake of this dying world, because, Lord, the world is crying for help. They're crying for the church to make a difference. Help us to be that church. With the power of your name upon us, Lord, all things are possible. I can do all things through Christ, who gives me strength. In Christ Jesus, we pray this prayer. Amen. Amen.